The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, U.S. Gamers' official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and joining me today is Games Beats, Jason Wilson. Welcome back. Hello! Thank you for having me. And today we're going to be doing a eh, more of a free-form podcast. Um, there's actually plenty to talk about between Devil Survivor 2 being out and Witcher 3 being out, but we're going to push Witcher 3 to next week. Um, mostly because the people that I want to talk about it with are kind of busy. Uh, Jason, you're not playing Witcher 3 yet, are you? Oh, I wish, but no, I am not. Um, who's covering it for you guys? Well, our reviewer was one of our freelancers, Gavin Green, and right now I also have Mike Mignotti, our community manager, working on a piece about how to get into the series if you're a newbie, since he's never played it before. Did you ever play uh, Witcher in the past? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've you like Witcher 2, right? I loved Witcher 2. I, re- I reviewed it when we were at GamePro. How did you not end up with Witcher 3? Because I don't have time. You know, I was going to end up with Witcher 3, actually. But um, I wasn't able to take it because I went out of town. So Yeah, when you're the manager, you don't get much of a chance to do the really fun things very often. And it's such a big RPG... But it looks gorgeous. I can't wait to play it. Um, I just got a code, actually. So I'm looking forward to firing up and seeing how it is. Yeah, I gave that code to somebody else because I know they can do stuff with it that I can't right now. So you finished Witcher 2, right? Oh, yeah. What would you think? I really liked it. Um, the, the, the thing I really liked it. The thing about The Witcher 2 for me was how, how the combat just felt so intense and made you such a part of it and i really enjoyed the storyline i um haven't played it since i first reviewed it when it came out so i need to revisit it at some point again hmm. yeah um you know i never really got through the entirety of witcher 2 so it was probably just as fine just as well that i didn't end up reviewing it but what i played of it i really enjoyed i always got through the beginning part where the uh king ends up dying. Um, and also Geralt of Rivia's in, in prison and everything. Um, I was going, I was going to play it, but I, I was playing Skyrim instead. So, ah, yeah. Can you imagine playing those back to back? Um, yes, because it's kind of my job, but, um, it's Skyrim. I, I like Witcher just because it has a very different flavor to it. Um, in terms of its fantasy, it's very Eastern European, um, which makes sense since it's made by a Polish developer. Um, and as such, it, it feels Game of, Game of Thronesy. Um, not the, le- not the least because of its emphasis on kind of blood and gore and that, um, and sex and that sort of thing. Yeah, much more Games of Thronesy than Dragon Age ever felt, huh? Which is funny, because Dragon Age Origins is more or less a ripoff of the original Game of Thrones, or at least A Song of Ice and Fire, and I, re- I remember that you commenting on that more than once back in the day. Yep, and they were really blatant, too, when the PR was first pitching it about that. I know. Uh, and that's what, kind of what I was expecting with Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, when I was playing that last year, it was like, oh... Like, I, I got such strong Skyrim vibes off of it. Um, but then, to my surprise, it actually kind of ended up evolving into its own thing. Yeah, you just don't see Bran walking, you know, well, of course Bran's not going to walk, but you just don't see Bran and Horder going alert. around trying to find Elf. No, you don't. <laughs> God, is Alfred always going to have a negative connotation now for Dragon Age Inquisition and how many times you go around picking that damn thing? You know, it's funny because I never took on those um, fetch quests, so it didn't really bother me as much. Uh, you see, I couldn't resist. I did way too many of the quests, and I think that's why I did end up enjoying it as much. As Yoda would say, and that is where you fail. So, okay. 
Last time we had you on the podcast, we were talking about Pillars of Eternity. Yes. Did you get a chance to finish it? And what were your final thoughts? I have finished it. And my thoughts haven't changed all that much from where I was. Do we want to do spoilers? Uh, let's not do spoilers, because I think a lot of people haven't finished it yet. Okay. Um, but I, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's still up there with, um, the best that Obsidian has ever done, uh, mm-hmm. especially with how the story comes together. But what I really love about it is how you're just able to do so much in that game, get back on the story anytime you want, but all the little side quests you do don't have that fetchy quest come connotation and don't feel like you're wasting your time doing something it feels like you're actually contributing to the world and what's going around you like could you elaborate a little bit in terms of contributing to the world and what's around you yeah well you know it's like i was saying on the podcast we talked about the lord's castle and how once you go there and depending on what you do there um the ramifications of what you do is felt in other places um when you go have encounters such as with the, the dragon slayer, you don't feel like you're just going there to kill a dragon. Uh, it feels like it fits in with the plot, the, you know, the, the two groups that you could join and how things change based on how you join those groups. You know, it's just, to me, some of that is in Dragon Age Inquisition. And again, this is ground that we treaded over last time we talked about it, but, uh, it just feels like the choices are more meaningful and, tie in more together with the world than those choices you would make in Dragon Age Inquisition. You know, I was thinking about this a lot because I'm playing Rebel Galaxy right now. Have you had a chance to play Rebel Galaxy? I started it. Okay, we're going to have to talk about that in a little bit. I started it, and I've played probably about, oh, an hour, maybe two hours of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so that game has a lot of fetch quests. Oh, tons. That game is fetch. It is. It's kind of fetch quest the game in space. Yeah, and and you know, and 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 let's be fair here. It's this is just a preview build we're playing with. So I was thinking about. I was like, okay, what about this is bothering me? Whereas like Pillars of Eternity didn't bother me. And I think when it comes to doing side quests, the kind of quests that I like, I like a good quest chain in which I. Do one action. It could be just like running an errand or something that sets in motion a series of events that eventually culminates in something. Um, it could be me gaining a new power. It could be, um, one faction being wiped out by the other faction. It could be a, a big battle. Um, where you're fighting your way through the halls of the castle and you eventually take somebody out. But the point is, just an isolated fetch quest is not particularly interesting. No, uh, they're not. Where they get interesting is how those fetch quests play into the kind of game and the kind of world you're building. And that that's what I see with um, Rebel Galaxy so far. In, in that, you know, you're kind of this privateer slash smuggler type. Um, you're out there and you're having to go get this stuff. You're going to have to make these cargo runs. Not because the story wants to, which it does sometimes, but because you need money. Yeah. You know, I, I, you've got to bling out your ship. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. It's purely for the money. I mean, and it's okay because, like, you're, you're traveling around, you're killing pirates, whatever. But... Yeah, and you're looking for your aunt. Yes, you're looking for your aunt. I, I wouldn't really call it an RPG because you're not building up a crew. You're not setting um, like abilities. Like in terms of nuts and bolts, it's not strictly speaking an RPG. Um, no, no. Uh, but uh, it it has RPG elements. That dreaded word, RPG elements. And I feel like at least in the preview build that I'm playing right now, it's hindered by, for example, the lack of set pieces, which can m- just make the combat more interesting and less repetitive. Yeah, um, the um, the way you'll drop out of the warp speed alternative this has and find yourself in a battle that you can't win and have to run away from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you end up getting annihilated. Well, I've been, I've been able to run away. 
And, yeah, sure. you know, I, I've been able to run away without getting destroyed. But then you go back and you get your ship fixed and it's, you're losing resources that you're really here trying to do. And especially when you start scraping the felt on your bank account. Um, oh God, that was a horrible mixed place yeah. there. Um, but, you know, when you're running out of money, you don't have money to fix your ship, but you got to do this quest to fix your ship to get money. And you, you can't because every time you do it, you try, you get, involved with these pirates or these other people who just want to blow you out of the sky and unless you're very good at maneuvering around them you you're going to incur more damage and then you need more money and i think the other thing is that it doesn't have dungeons and it doesn't have dungeons for an obvious reason it's a spaceship game <laughs> but space can still have dungeons right you know you know you, you take a look and you're, you might laugh when I suggest this, but you take a look at Star Trek Online. Mm-hmm. And in, in some ways, the combat's kind of similar. You know, it's By very, the way, you're talking to somebody who's played Star Trek Online for 200 hours. So. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm setting this up, you know. Okay, sure. And it, combat's similar in that it's very arcadey, and it's not very... It, it's got some strategy, but it's not strategic in the sense that you would with a galactic civilizations in combat. And you go to places, you go to different systems, and you have an encounter, and you've got these things happening around in that encounter, and it feels like you're in like a dungeon as you go through one place to the other to the other. And you don't get that really in Rebel Galaxy. You're just going to one location, you fight, you get the stuff, you come back to the base. Yeah, Star Trek Online was helped a lot by the fact that you could beam down to planets. Which... It varied up the action a lot and allowed for much more varied level design. And like some of the more recent uh, quests in that game are really elaborate um, in terms of dungeon design, in terms of what you're doing, uh, in terms of solving puzzles, in, the, in terms of how the spaceship combat mixes with the ground combat. And just the way that Rebel Galaxy is currently constructed I'm not sure that it can be anything more than what it is. We'll see. I hope it is. <laughs> but um having spent a fair amount of time with it now, which is to say a few hours, um I don't know, it's it's not super interesting. But that that gets back to the point of if you're going if you're going the the right way to do side quests is to do a proper quest chain and have it culminate in something. Because otherwise, I just don't want to do it. You know, yeah, I need to get money. Yeah, I need to get items, whatever. But I've, I, have thing, I have better things to do in my life than repetitive actions. Well, it depends on how you're doing those repetitive actions. And this is weird because I'm going to bring up a game that really doesn't have what you would call a traditional side quest. Uh, I'm playing a lot of Dark Souls to Scholar, to Scholar of the First Sin. Mm-hmm. If you think about that, you're, you're you know you're facing these bosses as you go through these areas and these big dungeons, and yeah, are there side quests? Not in the traditional sense, but you'd certainly have them as you're trying to find special you know particular pieces of gear, or if you are decided you're going to go around and help as many other players take down bosses as. You can, so that you can learn how to take these bosses down yourself better when it comes time for you to face one of them. Mm-hmm. And in all that, you're building to a goal. Um, because your equipment is so important in Dark Souls tool. At least it is for the way I play. Maybe it isn't for other play build because I'm awful at it. So I find that better equipment really helps me. Yeah, I'm really bad at Dark Souls 2 as well, so. But it's, but it's a, it's a great example of a game where, okay, it doesn't have these these side quests, but they're kind of like side quests when you approach them that way. But you're building and you're going around and yeah, you're being very repetitive because you go through some areas multiple times to gain the souls you need to either acquire an item from someone who's selling it or to boost an item or to boost yourself. But it doesn't, even though you're doing it over and over again, it never feels repetitive in that sense of, you know, say an old Japanese RPG where you're grinding through an area multiple times. Sure. I think the, well, as I already, I already talked about quest chains, but I feel like the ideal side quest, um, reveals something extra about the story or adds depth to, um, one of the characters that you have in your party. 
Um, it is a challenge. It yields something of value that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise. And it doesn't involve collect five of blah. Ideally, it would involve, I think, like doing a dungeon or whatever. You know which game had a re- has really good series of quest chains, like the way you're talking about them, and we're defining them right now. Is Ever? Legend the Legend of Heroes: Trails in the Sky? Ah, uh, yes, that's a, a favorite of a lot of our listeners. Yeah, well, I'm pur- purposely mentioning it because of this. But every quest you do in that game builds upon a character, or it builds upon a st- part of the story, or builds upon the world, and you learn something new. Mm-hmm. And that's I, a real excellent way of, of of building games like this. And I thought it'd be nice to single out, you know, after making a bad reference to Japanese RPGs, I thought it'd be nice to point out a more recent one that did something good. You know that game's almost 10 years old? 10 years old from, you know, its initial release date. But I mean, people are still discovering it thanks to Steam. I know. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. Steam, you know, people are down on Japanese RPGs, and some for good reasons, some for not, but I just love how Steam is kind of bringing more back to these to this genre, exposing us to more games that may have been originally out on other systems, and giving you a place to play them now. So can you give me a good example of a side quest that you really liked from Trails of the Sky, and how far did you get in that game? Oh, I beat it. Oh, you beat it? Wow. I finished it. You don't beat RPGs. You finish RPGs. Oh, my apologies. Well, that's my own thing. Um, uh, gosh, there, there, there were a number of them, but when you start going to places like the school area, that's kind of in the middle of the game, and you start learning about it, and you start doing some quests around there, like getting into the, um, the lighthouse tower area. Well, anyway... Um... So, Pillars of Eternity, without spoiling it, what did you think of the the end? I liked it. Um, as happens with many RPGs, I felt that the end didn't quite have the payoff that the story was setting it up. And, but I, you know, that's to me the hardest thing in RPG development when it comes to the story is not the build up, but the end. And it seems like that's always a little unsatisfying. And I, always wondered, is it because you're not satisfied with the story or because you've enjoyed the game and you just don't want it to stop? Mm. And I'm wondering if it's that where it collects you. And the example that brings that up for me was Baldur's Gate 2, because the end to me was pretty lackluster. It wasn't anything special. And it was to me one of the weakest parts of the story. But it's a classic, and it's a game we all love. But then, once you've gone through all that, I always wonder, well, do you not like it because... It's ending, or do you just not like it because it's not a good ending? I think it's a little column A and a little from column B. So, okay, with an RPG, it has to have like a definitive end, right? And it, well, I mean, it doesn't have to, but it, it should have an end. But it, it's, if it's a cliffhanger, that's fine. Yeah. Um. Usually, it's building up some kind of enemy, um, who is really powerful. Like in Pillars of Eternity, the the main bad guy like has been reincarnated over and over again throughout history, and like he can control souls, and like he's portrayed almost as this, or he's portrayed as almost this unstoppable evil who is just sowing havoc throughout the world, right? Yes. Um, he can take over somebody's body and make them do a thing and just cause complete chaos. And he's a pretty cool villain. And inevitably, when you actually end up fighting them, it's like you beat them. Maybe they have an extra form. But ultimately you go, oh, okay, that's great. Rarely can you beat them with, say, your wits. Rarely is it a... um yeah, that's the thing. You rarely beat them with your wits. There's rarely an alternative m- mode. Um, usually you beat them with strength or yeah. combat. Yeah, with with the power you've accumulated either through items or through the magic you've built up or from the people that you've gathered into your party in this case. 
Now, I can hear somebody screaming into their microphone right now and saying, well, that's not the case in Fallout, where you can actually negotiate and get the the main, the final bad bad guy to blow their head up, <laughs> blow their brains out, which is kind of amazing. But if I recall, I, I may be wrong, but there's at least one final boss where you can get them to commit suicide. Or just stand down. And I'm pretty sure that was the case with Fallout New Vegas as well. Um, you, you know, Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas, I've never had a chance to finish. Oh, really? Yeah. Those games are just so big for me. And mm. so, you know, so many other things. And I went through a period where, where I just didn't finish games very often. And I'm trying to fix that to where I get back to finishing games. You're in a kind of an enviable position where you're an editor um, and you're a managing editor, so you don't actually have to review games all that much, so you can focus on one game for a while. Yeah, when I want to review a game, it's because I either want to save freelance budget or it's something I really want to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which includes Pillars of Eternity. So yeah. are you playing anything else right now that you've finished Pillars of Eternity? Well, as soon as, as soon as I finished Pillars of Eternity, I switched straight to Dark Souls 2 Scholar. Right. Of course, you're still playing that. And I've been playing that pretty obsessively. And the other games I've been playing haven't been very RPG, R, you know, RPG, um, for a lack of a better term. I, tr I started trying to get into Xenogears, the, 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 the recent. You mean Xenoblade? See, um, yeah, Xenoblade, excuse me. I always think Xenogears. Well, um, I mean, that's also available on handheld, so I'm not I'm yeah. entirely sure. But. When I uh, when it first came out on the new 3DS, and I'm having a hard time keeping up with it. And it's mm -hmm. funny, because you noted, oh, that's a game you probably won't like very much, Jason. Yeah, and am I right? So far, it's it's like, I like the characters, and I like the story, I don't like the combat. Combat's okay. It's like an MMO. Yeah, I don't play many MMOs. <laughs> uh, I should say that it's like an MMO kind of without the death. Because, okay, in an MMORPG, part of the, the fun is that you're building up a party and everybody plays a specific role, right? So you got your tank and you got your healer and you got your crowd control person and everybody knows what they're going to do kind of like you know tabletop rpg you're a tabletop rpg guy yeah, in xenoblade tabletop one that's in xenoblade chronicles everybody's playing a role but it's a fixed role and there's not a lot of leeway to develop within that role um so you quickly find what the best abilities are and you attach them, and you go on your merry way, and the combat and the battles tend to play out fairly similarly. Now, that's not always the case with boss battles. Some of the boss battles are pretty intense, and you have to be mindful of what different characters' strengths and weaknesses are. But there's not a min-max element to it that I think a lot of RPG people appreciate are you a min maxer jason i'm not a min maxer but i like playing with some of that stuff um mm -hmm. like for example my dark souls 2 build um i've always been maxed that game and now i'm not this i decided okay i'm not gonna min max this i'm gonna play a sorcerer but i'm going to give myself a little bit of strength so i can do some fighting i'm gonna give myself a little bit of faith so i can do some cleric magic as well but i'm not gonna just sit here and dump everything into my magic stacks oh is this your first Dark Souls? No, it's not. It's not. So this, you... is, this is the first one that I've played differently. Okay. So I've gone into all the Dark Souls and Deep Souls games thinking, okay, okay, how do I just make my guy stronger and just build and build and build on that? And it's always been incredibly frustrating to play like that. But that's that's how I was approaching them. And I'm not so good with the controls of the combat. I don't do so well with that. This time, I decided, okay, I'm going to build and do things I want my character to do. Which include, you know, a little bit of sword combat, a little bit of faith magic, even though I'm a sorcerer, while at the same time, really having a focus on helping others. So, everywhere I go, I, I'll, I'll find a place that it's kind of a central hub area, whether it be a bonfire, a boss place, or another place where there's a tough enemy, and I'll put down a summon sign. And then I'll wait for someone to summon me, and then 
I'll go and I'll help them. And I've been doing a lot of that, and I really enjoy that. And it's really changed my whole perspective on this series. Oh, that's interesting. So are you not using the summoning stuff very often before? Not that often, no. I feel like you really need to to be able to... Well, I suppose that if you're really, really good at the game, you can solo a lot of things. Um, And a lot of people do, in fact. But, I mean, the summon signs are kind of there to help you, you know, um, to get past a lot of the tougher things. And I'm kind of like you in that, from a skill perspective, I'm not that good. So my kind of approach to the game is try, not trial and error, but get used to the boss, get used to what the boss is doing. And then once I feel confident, um, I revived human to get my full life bar back, uh, summon somebody, uh, either summon an AI, comp- an AI companion or summon somebody else and then go and, and fight them. <laughs> and sometimes you get people who come in and just annihilate the boss almost immediately and you can continue to proceed. I'm finding that, but, um, the way I played it before was I soloed most of it because I honestly thought that was the way I wanted to play and, and, and show that, okay, you know, yeah, this is supposed to be a hard game, but I can do it. And what I would do is I wouldn't summon, but I'd like to invade people's games. Mm-hmm. This time, I'm not doing that. So you're doing PvP. I was doing a lot of PvP in Demon Souls and Dark Souls, yes. Were you really good at it? No, I was not. I was not very good at it. Um, but I enjoyed it because, I, I, you know, even if they killed me very quickly, I still just laughed and cackled at just this whole idea. One of the things I loved about it was just invading a game and going to someone else's world. And they're sitting there and they might have this goal in mind. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to come in here and screw up your goal. Even if it, even if I get killed, you're going to be stopping doing what you want to do because I want to have some fun and mess with you. I saw a great video um, along that regards. Somebody got invaded. Okay. So what they did was they were wearing the armor of one of the bad guys. They ran up to the bad guy, killed them, and then stood in their place. <laughs> oh, I sure hope you linked that in the show notes. And you see, like, a bad guy, like, you see the invader running around, and they run right past them. And, like, it's obviously confused, and then they just give up and leave. <laughs> it's It's pretty amazing, actually. I have never done the PvP, which I guess that means that I'm missing some essential element of Dark Souls. Um, I've been invaded a couple times, I guess I should say. Um, and those co- those battles have been fun, but most of the time I'm so focused on just forward progression that I don't necessarily, um, I don't necessarily think to just invade people's games. I suppose that, so what were you going to say? You know, that's so funny. Focus on forward progression. You know, I'm becoming more and more of an RPG player who doesn't focus so much on progression, but focuses on doing what it is I want to do. And that's one of the things I loved about Pillars of Eternity, because I didn't have to stay on the story track with all the different side quests you had, whether related to people in your party or just other things you found in the world as you went along. And you could have a lot of fun with that, and you could end up exploring a lot of the world in that way. And that's one of the things I'm really loving about Dark Souls 2, is... It's the scholar of the first sin. You don't have to stick on beating the boss, then beating the next boss, and beating the next box as you play the game. And it has lots of ways for you to enjoy the game as you're doing that. And it's it's really interesting because when I do dabble with MMOs, I don't feel that's there. It's like you're going from one quest to another quest to another quest that's all on the track for the area, and then you beat that area, and then you move on to the next area. And it doesn't quite have that. Even if you do have a lot of freedom in where you're going in this huge world in an MMO, you can go from one zone to another. But, you know, you're finding it in all these different and great places. And I haven't started Bloodborne yet. I wanted to beat Scholar of the First Sin first. Uh, so I'm really looking to see if that part of Dark Souls carries over to Bloodborne. You know, I, I'm meaning to get into Bloodborne. 
soon. I have it sitting on my shelf and I feel like a bad person for not really getting too deep into it. I've gotten past the, the opening area, but actually my attention keeps being taken up by Persona Q. Really? Which, yep. Which came out last year. Um, have you played it? No, I have not. Uh, I think that you should give up on Xenoblade Chronicles and play that instead. It's it's on my I need to play it list. Look, I, I'm sorry to be super down on Xenoblade Chronicles. I'm sure that there are people who really like it. It's okay. <laughs> I think that it was a perfectly serviceable RPG uh, that did some things well. Um, it had really great scale, but I'm just not a fan of it on the 3DS. Yeah, I'm I'm finding that it's it's just not fitting with me right now. Now, Persona Q is a game that you know I just let lapse um, and and need to get to. It's 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 really it's been really. There's so many good options now, you know. And people talk about oh, there just isn't so many good RPGs these days. Yes, there are. They're all over. That's the place. craziness. That's there's craziness. so many good RPGs right now. I can't even keep track of them. No, I want to like. I want to get back into Darkest Dungeon so bad, and I just haven't, and I really do. Well, we'll get to Darkest Dungeon in a second, but Persona Q, you, you like Tetrian Odyssey, right? I love Etrian Odyssey. Then you got to play Persona Q, because it's basically Etrian Odyssey with Demon Fusion. I know, i got to do it, i got to do it. I can spend all day just going through the different com- combinations of demons and figuring out what I want to do. And it's even a little deeper because you can attach a sub persona to everybody in this game. So you can't have multiple personas to go through for your own character. You can only just have one sub persona, but that's balanced out by the fact that your entire party can have a persona now in addition to their own. So you're kind of like thinking, okay, like what's the best mix for each character in terms of what I want them to do. Um, and and it's it's working out pretty well. It's just whenever I pick it up, I am immediately just really grabbed by that game. Um, I I think I just really like Persona three and four. They're just wonderful, wonderful RPGs. Now here's my question. One of the things I love about Etrian Odyssey. Getting beyond, oh, you can do your own map, which I, which is still mm-hmm. just makes me giggle every time I play it. Um, because you're cl- old school, like. Oh yeah. For people who don't know, like Jason's been playing RPGs since what the eighties. I've been playing RPGs since, geez, eighty one, eighty. I've been so playing you, them you, so long that they've changed so many times, and now they're going back. And they change, and they're going back, and uh, you know so, it's. So you're used to drawing your own maps. Oh, yeah. I drew my own maps for the Ultima games and for Mind and Magic and the Bard's Tale. And, you know, even when you get to the games where your maps are unfolding before you, I would still like to keep my own notes on this little area I would draw myself because I just found that to be an easier thing for me to do than to do it, even if it had a tool for note-taking in the game. Mm Mm-hmm. So, what was your question about about Persona Q? So, my question about Persona Q is, does it have that same range of classes and things that classes do? No. Which is the drawback. Because the actual character, like the personas effectively function as the classes. So, instead of... So, just like, okay, with, just like with the mainline Persona series, then. Pretty much, yeah. So, instead of thinking in terms of, okay... I want, you know, a, a mage, and I want a pirate, and I want a, a farmer, and I want whatever uh, for my party, and then having, like, multiple characters that you kind of develop over time. You have, like, the set pool of characters that you can choose from, and each one of them has a persona with their own abilities and their own stat distribution, and they're good at individual things. And so you're thinking, okay, how do I want to build up my party so that it is well-balanced in that regard? And while there's a trade-off in that you don't have as much customization, you get the benefit of having predefined characters 
which means that you have a much deeper story automatically. So in that regard, Persona Q has spoken to me more than Etrian Odyssey because I'm playing with characters that I already really like in a world that I really enjoy. Um, and the death, thanks to the demon fusion, which is still a thing, um, is still there. The only, the only thing that I find to be a small drawback is the fact that because you don't have the social links, you can't build up your, like, your, your persona, like, level, uh, uh, your fusion level or whatever. Um, by talking to people, and I always found that connection really... Uh, I really liked that connection uh, mechanically, because it brought the two halves of the game together. Yeah, and it was it was fun, and it was really interesting to see where these characters would go with their relationships. So do you build up the persona just through combat? Yeah, you... As you build up your levels, um, you are... Once you hit a certain level, then you can, like, uh, fuse that persona. So it's like level 7, I can fuse a level 7 persona. So, and how are the dungeons? Because persona might have some interesting boss encounters, but the basic dungeons themselves aren't all that good. How, how do the dungeons in Persona Q compare? Well, that's the nice thing, right? Is that you're right, like the dungeons in Persona 3 and 4 have never been that good because they're randomly generated, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in these, I mean, it's like Etrian Odyssey, so you're in these big um, intimidating labyrinths with, filled with FOEs and enemies, and you're trying to stay alive. And so, just on that count, the dun- the actual dungeon diving is way better. So it. Do you feel? It, do you feel that this is a game that people have missed out on? I do. I think that because it. It didn't get a lot of hype when it was launched. In fact, I would say it got almost no hype at all. And it was a spin-off. Um, it was rightly or wrongly perceived as a spin-off. And I wouldn't say that it got a ton of word of mouth. And the Etrian Odyssey games are niche anyway. So people who are normally Persona fans looked at it and said, eh, I think I'll take a miss. And I might have taken a miss as well. But, but I got a code. So I've had it on my 3DS for a while. And I just randomly booted it up one day while I was in Europe. And I was like, hey, yeah, I really like this. This, this is great. It has some music um, that I like from Persona. And it has the characters. And the, the, the art is kind of cute. And it mixes in a lot of those elements from those games that I really like with the elements that I like Vetrian Odyssey. So, no, I'm digging it. So, if you haven't checked out Persona Q yet, you should check it out. Another yeah. RP... Sorry? I was, I was just going to say, the closest that Dale North has gotten to yelling at me since he joined GamesBeat was because I hadn't played that yet. Oh, Dale North is a big fan as well? Oh, yeah, he likes it. Oh, my God, we need to get Dale North on this show. Oh, yeah, he would love that. Dale North, former Destructoid editor. Was he EIC over there? Oh, yes. Yes, he was the EIC over at Destructoid, and now he's over at GameSpeed. And he has lots of JRPG thoughts. And oh my he is gosh. never shy about sharing. Yeah, we definitely have to get him on the show. Are you, is he going to E3? Oh yeah, he'll be there. Oh, maybe we can get him on the show then. Okay, but speaking of another RPG that you shouldn't miss, uh, when was the last time you played Darkest Dungeon? Last time I played Darkest Dungeon was right before I started Pillars of Eternity. And how far did you get? Oh gosh, I um, I was stopped by the hag, mm-hmm. and then I got past her, and then the boss, the pig, the big pig boss with Wilbur. That's where I got stopped. That's funny because I annihilated the pig. Oh, you see, I'm having, a, I had a hell of a time with that, and I still haven't gotten past that. That's where I need to, you know, start over. I, I had a whole huge party wipe and i've been getting really cocky because i haven't had a party wipe in a long time yeah that's my problem it's you know, the part of the problem is that i haven't played Dun- darkest dungeon in quite a while because i was like okay i've seen quite a bit of what i like about this game and then i i stopped <laughs> because i want to have the total experience when i pick it up again 
Yeah, and I can understand that because, you know, it's still an early access. I don't remember what my party combo is now. My party combo is dead. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Literally, it was the night before I got the code for Pillars of Eternity. And I ha- I can't play a lot of that game at once because it's very intense. Um, going through every room really just seems to take a lot of focus for every combat because you really got to plan out how you do things and how you're going to attack. At least that's how I approached it. And it was more focus than I've put into an RPG in a very long time. I think... Oh, yeah, no, it's really intense in that way. Um, in the same way that the Souls games are intense. Are you the kind of person that, uh, are you the kind of person that plays in the dark? Oh, yeah, I play in the dark. Um, if you're not familiar with Darkest Dungeon, it's a, it's a roguelike where, and I've discussed it on the show already, so, um, peripherally, but it's a party-based roguelike where you are recruiting unsavory types like highwaymen and um, plague doctors and what have you, um, who all of them have their own abilities and you're taking them into a dungeon. Um, You usually have some kind of goal, which is, you know, kill X number of enemies or get to this room or whatever. And you're main. And as you go, you are slowly becoming insane. (laughs) You're becoming insane because it's very stressful to be attacked by guys. Your guys are getting hungry. Um, they're running into traps. Um, they're stressed out by the dark. And so you have to weigh the fact that your party can go crazy. And once they go crazy, they have a really strong debuff where like they'll start doing things where they'll cause a lot of stress to your party or they'll hurt themselves or. They just will refuse to attack or they'll run back to the end of the line and they don't become functionally useless, but they become much less useful, I guess I should say. So Jason and I have been really enjoying this. Um, Jason, you've been enjoying this, right? Oh yeah. I love this game. I love this game. It's a terrific game. Um, I have taken a break from it until now because it's currently in early access. And I want to play the entire game. They've locked out the final dungeon and they haven't put all the content. But Jason, if there's any time to get back into it, it's probably going to be the end of the month because they're going to have a huge content drop. That's true. That's true. But are you still going to be playing The Witcher? That's true. But you're working. Yeah, see, you're right. There are so many good RPGs right now. But, uh, I, you know, Bloodborne's just going to have to wait because I'm diving into Witcher 3 next. And then if you if you like the series, I believe the um, new Etrian Odyssey games coming out, the ones that are kind of like where you redo one of the older games and you give it more of a narrative, you have a pre-made party. All right, Etrian on Odyssey Untold 2. Yep. Jeremy Parrish, who is kind of our site's, I guess you could say, Etrian Odyssey connoisseur, did not particularly care for Etrian Odyssey Untold. Neither did I. I, I may be putting words into his mouth, but my recollection is that he did not particularly like it. Why didn't you like it? Because it was a pre-made party. That was my biggest thing, because the whole point of a game like Etrian Odyssey, to me, is that you're making your party, and these are your characters. And with Untold, it's not. Now, some people might really like having that option, and having a more traditional Japanese experience uh, with the pre-made characters. But that's not how I like to play a game that's so based on the old wizardry, like Etrian Odyssey. That's fair enough. Um, I will say that Etrian Odyssey 4, yeah, it was 4 for the 3DS. I'm looking at it on my shelf right now, it is 4, um, but it was partially covered up. That is probably the best Etrian Odyssey I've ever played. Yeah, it's 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 the best of the series. But what was one of the one of the great things about that series was each game built upon what came before and did it better. Yes, um, I I absolutely agree. And it's it's just it's just a treasure of Atlas that it, it does that. It's like for me, my experience with Persona, which starts with Persona Three, is how Three was good. I felt Four is better. The Golden's even better. So the thing with Etrian Odyssey was. The first Etrian Odyssey was, I mean, 
it was the first game, so it was a bit rough, right? It wasn't rough, but it was a very distilled experience. And then Entry and Odyssey 2 was ridiculously hard. Very hard. Not not that that's bad. There's nothing bad with it. It was what I wouldn't call an artificial challenge. It was just a very hard game. But it was an unbalanced challenge because it was really hard right from the get-go. Yeah, but that didn't bother me so much. I didn't feel like that was unbalanced. I just kind of rolled with what as best as I can. It takes some time, but you know, you, you could figure out a way to, to, to deal with it. And yeah, it takes a lot of grinding. But for me, the way you approach combat in Entry and Odyssey and the way you build up your characters, it, it's not a bad grind to me. And then Entry and Odyssey 3 was much easier. And introduced new travel elements and then th- that opens up the game and makes it different. But I liked the... So you get an airship, right? In Entry and Odyssey 4? Yeah. 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 Boat in 3, airship 4. Yes, you get an airship in 4. And I really liked the airship. I thought that worked really well for the game and it was much better than the boat. Yeah, and I loved the I, I little dungeon. I did not like dungeon. the boat. I did not like the boat. I wasn't very good at the boat. Yeah, that's the thing. Is You couldn't go very far in the boat in Etrian Odyssey 3, right? Well, you had to have a lot of resources to do it. Exactly, yeah. That was the thing. Whereas you don't really need a lot of resources in 4 to do it. No. If at all. No, but it's a, a great example of of how the series has grown in that every time they introduce something, the next one, they introduce a way to make it better. Okay. So we gotta get we gotta wrap up in a minute, but what has been your favorite RPG so far this year? Pillars. Pillars of Eternity, followed by Dark Souls 2, Scholar of the First Sin, followed by Darkest Dungeon. And I need to check a release I need to check a release date on this other game. That's been really good, but it's really, really under the radar. Which one's that? What's called? I can't even pronounce it. Like Lords of Jolima or Jolima. Okay. Um, I've been playing that off and on for quite some time. It was a Kickstarter game. Oh, okay. And I got a code, but I think it came out in um, December of 2014, so that wouldn't make it this year. But it's a great old school experience. It's first per it's first person in that it's your party and then it presents that first person view that you would get from a game like Mind Magic of uh, the monster there or the group of monsters there in front of you and, and you fight them. And it's 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 very hard. It's very challenging. The lack of resources can sometimes get in the way. But it's got an interesting world in it. It's got some cool maps, some cool you know, the art is Okay, it's nothing very special, but it's 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 well done for what it is. And it's it's just a fun old fashioned game. In any case, um now, yeah, here's, I... here's here's the one thing. Notice mm-hmm. that we're ta- we spent a lot of time talking about two games that are, are enhanced ports. Uh Dark Souls two, Scholar of the First Sin mm-hmm. and Xenoblade Chronicles for yes. the new three DS. Um does that say anything about the RPG market now? Or does it have something else to say just about how the big companies are making big games right now? I think it's more that we spend almost all of our time talking about Pillars of Eternity and um, Xenoblade Chronicles and etc., which are either remakes or kind of spiritual successors. So... Developers are going with what they know in terms of, like, Bloodborne as a sequel. So, enhanced ports, remakes, and sequels are kind of the thing right now. Um, and we're about to play Witcher 3. Later this year, we got Persona 5. So, is, is this bad for those of us who love role-playing games? Um, I mean, it's a kind of a thing that's endemic to the entirety of gaming, right? Where, just sequels are the name of the game because it's a sure thing and more so than even blockbuster movies um games are a very risky business and if you can get a guaranteed community or a guaranteed market then you're going to go and try to get it but we were also talking about rebel galaxy which yeah okay it's not an rpg strictly speaking but 
It takes a lot of elements from games that I like. Um, and while we have criticism for it, it's an intriguing idea and I want to play more. And that's an original IP, um, created by the guys who did Diablo and Torchlight and they generally know what they're doing. So it, I've talked about this in other, I've talked about this in other podcasts and elsewhere as well, but developers who know how to leverage community have more freedom than they have in the past. There's more risk, but there's a lot more latitude to make the kind of game that you want, which explains why we've got Pillars of Eternity this year and another uh, Planescape Torment, or the spiritual successor to Planescape Torment coming later this year. And we are getting kind of these old school experience, enhanced old school experiences that we would not have been able to get just a couple years ago. So I, I find that a positive trend as well. And of course, last year we got Divinity Original Sin and everybody really liked that game. I need to finish that game. I played, I played a lot of it, but I still need to finish it. And if you're going to play Torment Tides of Numenera, you should really check out the, um, Numenera tabletop RPG source book just to give you a little background on the world. It's okay. really well done. I can I can loan that to you. You totally should, so that I can talk about it fluently. What are you looking for the rest of the year? Well, Torment, Tides of <laughs> Numenera. Uh, the Witcher <laughs> yeah, me 3. too. Uh, the Witcher 3, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the finished version of Darkest Dungeon a lot. Me too. Persona 5. And those are, the, those are really the big games I'm looking forward to for this year. Um, the other thing I'm looking forward to, but I don't know if it's going to come out, as a full release this year, is uh, Shroud of the Avatar, um, Richard Garriott's game. I I don't know what's going on with that game. I had Richard Garriott on the show earlier this year, and he was, the way he was describing it is they almost... You'll forgive me if I'm not remembering this properly, but I seem to recall that he said that they essentially built a version to show to people to, as a kind of proof of concept and then start it over. So now they're just now getting to the point where they have kind of a, a good game. And my apologies if I'm misreporting this. No, and but, what's really interesting is um, I've talked to some people who've been playing it for a while. Mm-hmm. And, and some really love it and said, oh, God, this is ultimate. This is like old takes on ultimate. It's all new. And then another person who played it for about four weeks, and he said, and this was about a month ago, and he said, Jason, this game's a mess. And I just mm-hmm. want to see what it is. I really need to dive into it before I render any judgment. Um, I don't have a lot of emotional attachment to the Ultimate ser- Ultima series. I have a lot of a healthy respect for its legacy in rpgs but um so i haven't been emotionally pulled toward this game yeah and then the other game that i'm really looking forward to to come out of beta and it's got some rpg elements but it's not an rpg at all is world of warships uh yeah world of warships yeah but you're leveling up your ships and you're putting new gear on them. So that's the RPG element. And it's a very big stretch. But God, I love that game. And it's a lot of fun. The the one game that I'm probably looking forward most than all the others is uh, Sword Coast Legacy when it comes out. Final Fantasy XV coming out this year? Eh, if it does, it doesn't. I don't really. I don't think it will. Uh, if it comes out, that's great. Um, I think it'd be better if it didn't. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of good games coming out later this year. Well, that's the case every year. Yeah, but do we need a Final Fantasy this year? And if we've got a Persona 5, you know, I think it'd be better to wait, but that's just me. Indeed. How are you feeling about this year compared to last year? I'm feeling that it's a year that, that that's divided up in certain different ways. I think the folks who are making PS4 games and making Xbox One games are starting to feel very confident with the tools and are feeling like they're going to be hitting a place where they're going to finally be doing things that they feel, I don't know if we feel, but I think they feel, are different than what we were getting with the PS3 and the Xbox 360. Um, I think for RPGs, the indie space and the small studio space for online games and PC games are a treasure. I think that 
there's lots of great, interesting little things going on all over the place there. And I'm very excited for that, and I hope that continues to grow. I, I get really worried about early access and the fact that people can put unfinished games that aren't very good and may not ever get good out there for people to play and swamp all these good games that are still getting better and better. And so I, I get really worried about that model of people getting their games lost. Well, this is a perfect opportunity for me to plug my recent cover story over on usgamer.net about early access, where I take a really in-depth look at what is going on with it, what are some of the good examples of it, what are some of the bad examples of it, where is it going. I interview a bunch of developers, including Red Hook Studios, who are making Darkest Dungeons. So we've got a little bit of synergy going on here. Jason, where can we find you? Well, you can find me at Gamesby, and you'll see me on my Twitter, which is Jason underscore Wilson, and I talk about lots of nerdy things and sports. Um, I think sporty sports sport. sport. And there's another parallel that we have, because I don't think there's all that much difference between a sports nerd and an RPG nerd. Their spreadsheets are just different. Well, you just had half our audience uh, completely tune us out just by saying those words, sports. Well, you know... If they tune out in an hour and three minutes in, that's okay. Well, let me, I'll just say that min-maxers really aren't that different from sabermetrics people. Oh, God, they're the same. They are the same. They're the same. All right. Um, anything else you want to plug, Jason? Um, not particularly, but I do want to have everyone just, you know, go out there and look for those great games that are getting buried. And, yeah, and, like Persona Q. And talk about them. Talk about them on your social media. It doesn't matter how few people you have following you. Just talk about those games you really like and bring that enthusiasm, and maybe you'll help other people discover those games. All right. And, of course, I'm Cat Bailey. Find me on the underscore catbot. Um, and, you know, go over to usgamer.net. Um, check out our YouTube channel. Check out our Twitch channel. It's usgamer.net, usgamer.net, usgamer.net. We're going to have a lot of coverage of... Witcher 3 coming up in the next week. Mike's playing it right now. I just got a code. I'm going to be totally playing it over the weekend. So I think you can look forward to us chatting about that in the very next episode. But until then, I've been Kat Bailey. Jason Wilson, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And until next time, happy adventuring. <laughs>